Hello, Blunders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 126 of Real Blend, a podcast that fights for family and lives for love. <laughs> uh, Why did you think we wouldn't understand that joke? Well, you just you told us before we started recording that we wouldn't understand it. Maybe you didn't watch the video. I didn't know if maybe you didn't watch it. I knew you watched I the video. I sent you the video! But Kevin might not have watched the video. The This is the... You gotta pay attention to the... To the uh, <laughs> Twitter feed, essentially, where we tried to get something tra- trending last <laughs> that did, night. That did not take off at all. Didn't go very well. Uh, this was the this was a commercial for ABC Family, uh, where they were doing Batman Begins, and where we learned that Bruce Wayne fights for family and lives for love. It was very, very heavily, very heavily featuring uh, Katie Holmes and her character. I still her, like the Rachel. other one that was uh, set to the very uh, <laughs> Batman-appropriate band of Nickelback. <laughs> there was, a, there was, was a TV spot that must have aired the summer of 2005. <laughs> yeah. Because apparently Nickelback was like the band of early 2000 oh, superhero yeah. movies. Because sure. they had um, Spider-Man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw a hot take out there. I don't think don't. Nickelback is don't. bad. Yes, yeah, they, they are. Really, they're really bad. I don't think. They're, like, okay, here's the deal. I, really I'm not bad. saying that I like Nickelback or right. or that I'm a fan or that like I'm listening to them casually, but <laughs> I think that Nickelback now falls under this umbrella of people of a band that like people think it's cool oh, to say they don't. like. That's fair. That's fair. I agree with Jake on that only because like growing up, that was Dave Matthews for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always like, um, like, it's funny as I get older. I'm 36 now. I'm starting to understand that I can be wrong. <laughs> I can have a wrong opinion. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean, though? Like, 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 I guess there's a stubbornness to when you're growing up and you are you like a band so much, you like something so much, and you stay forward on that path because you don't want to go against yourself. Sure. Um, and I always found like like Dave Matthews. I didn't like Dave Matthews, but I always found myself hating on Dave Matthews only because that's just the way my mind was thinking about Dave Matthews. Right. But now that, as I get older, I'm like. Okay, John Smith might love Dave Matthews. That doesn't mean Dave Matthews yeah. is a bad band. I just don't yeah. prefer his music. And so Nickelback fell into that category for me where there's a monumental element of hate surrounding Nickelback. Like they're, they're it's a joke now that they're considered yeah. one of the worst bands of all time. Yeah. To Jake's point though, they're super talented artists. They can write music. And also statistically yeah, speaking, like they are personally. incredibly successful. Oh, like no like question. They are multi, multi platinum. Gabe is like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> well, how did we get down we, this we got to the We got to the opening joke, yeah, and yeah. this show just went off the rails. Jake, did you, did you hear about they got the name of the band because they went to a 7-Eleven and got, got a Slurpee for 95 cents, gave them a dollar, and they gave them a nickel back? That's... That almost sounds like it could be accurate. It sounds like a solo <laughs> I name kinda story, actually, right? I kind of believe yeah. that. Uh, anyway, my name is Sean O'Connell, the <laughs> managing director here at CinemaFled. The this other two guys are Jake Hamilton week. of Fox 32 in Chicago and Kevin McCarthy in Fox 5, Washington, D.C. Let's get right to episode highlights because we are off the rails already. We're going to discuss whether Kill Bill 3 should be Quentin Tarantino's next movie. And final movie, potentially. Uh, we are going to discuss whether movies should return to theaters without U.S. markets. And we have an interview this week with author and screenwriter Rebecca Dinerstein-Knight, uh, who wrote The Sunlit Night, uh, which stars Jenny Slate. And uh, she did the screenplay for her own novel. And we got a re- some really great insight into adapting your own book and the changes that have to be made to those movies as they get here. And uh, I got told that I asked a mean question. Did you you buy her? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
I don't even remember that. Did remember you remember I asked a question? She's like, oh, that's such a mean question. And oh, I was yeah, like, that's right. Oh, she wouldn't answer she's it. she's so sweet. She's like the nicest person. Yeah, so for was. her to like say, like, it just kind of like crushed, yeah. like any other person tells me that and I don't care. But the fact that like leading up to that, she was the nicest person maybe we've ever interviewed. That is. And then I asked a question. She's like, oh, that's so mean. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, a great tease. a little tease for you folks. Well, that is coming <laughs> up soon. All right. Uh, plugs. We have a, a community page over on Facebook where everybody is sharing, um, What's going on in the world of movie news? Uh, they are starting polls and even sponsoring viewing parties uh, that Arthur has sort of taken the lead on. So thank you very much for that. That's Arthur, so cool. That's your second shout out now. Uh, Arthur also live tweets the show once in a while. And Which is, I, I love. I do too. And not just because um, he often agrees with my takes. Like always agrees with your takes and is like adamantly opposed to almost anything that I say. So, but I still love him. He's really sweet. He's a nice guy. One of our earliest blenders and uh, one of the Chicago community as well. Uh, if you're watching us visually, that means you know that we are posting these episodes on Cinema Blend's YouTube page. And of course, we are available all of the different places where you can download podcasts. Last plug before we get to the show proper, uh, we have a merchandise store. Oh, Gabe, this was really cool. So anyway, if you go to Cinema Blend dot com backslash shop you can get a mug like kevin's drinking what? out of right now well played kevin well oh, played uh the you timing on that t-shirts and tank tops and a tote bag this and all this really cool definitely stuff. an ad <laughs> yes, without a doubt which is so funny because there are so many moments in the history of this show that that you've said something and be like just a heads up this is like we're not sponsored this is but for the <laughs> yeah. first time in the history of the show you actually threw an ad out there so i uh, went to yeah, our i was kidding I, I did pay for that mug I, I went to our to YouTube me. page to watch one of the clips most recently, and there's a bar underneath it now with link to our merchandise. What? Gabe, tell me how that happened. What? I'm uh, just a marketing genius, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> tell uh, what they no, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you watch stuff on YouTube, you'll start seeing uh, Real Blend merch to buy at your convenience. It's like the little, it's like with the little candy bars next to the checkout counter. Yeah. Impulse buy, oh, you impulse buy a shirt. Ooh, you know? Could you do like four little bobbleheads? And like each of the bases kind of link together. So if you buy each of us individually, like yeah. they can turn into like you can link them together and then they have like four little bobbleheads. I'll get right on that. Yeah, That's sure. actually a really cool idea. That's actually a really cool idea. <laughs> yeah, we'd be blended together, right? Exactly. What? Yes. Yeah. What? For real? And then Almost- every time you listen to the show, and one of us says something you agree with, you can just tap us on the head. And we'll, we'll kind of we'll nod at you. <laughs> Only because deep down, I really want to keep track of who sells more bobbleheads. Right? Like, I would oh, okay. love to. We all know it'll be Gabe. I would like, yeah, really. Yes, yeah, like, really it'll be Gabe, be and then the rest of us will be in a distant, distant, yeah. distant and second, third, and fourth All place. three uh-huh. of ours don't talk, and Gabe's should have a voice. <laughs> no. And never stop talking. You can't turn it off. <laughs> just, it just yammers. All day long. All right. Weekly poll. I think, listen, now I'm kind of into that bobblehead idea. That's actually pretty intriguing. <laughs> right? Isn't that actually really cool? Yeah, it is pretty cool. Um, Jake, tell me yeah. the answer to the weekly poll. It said, which new movie will you stream first? Last weekend, oh. we were blessed with a string of new films. And it might be one of the most busy weekends that we're going to see in July. Because July is looking a little bit thin, unfortunately. We had... Tom Hanks in Greyhound going to Apple TV+. Plus. We had Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti in the Hulu comedy Palm Springs. Charlize Theron was in The Old Guard and the horror movie Relic. All four of those. So we you asked everybody Theron? which movie would they stream first. 
Do what now? You say Theron? Charlize Theron. Theron. No, 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 no. It's Charlize Theron. Now, I'm not wrong with this one. Gabe? It is absolutely Charlize Theron. Gabe? It is I'm, Theron. I'm, I'm fairly confident if you Google how to pronounce Charlize Theron, it's a video of her pronouncing it for you. It is not Charlize, Charlize Theron. Theron. I, I think it's Theron, dude. No, in, it's Sean's, not. in Sean's defense, I have pronounced it Charlize Theron my entire career. Yes, I, because that, that's uh, what it is. doesn't mean he's right. You no, said it's the, it's the same reason why Martin Scorsese is wrong. Same exact people thing. People say that? Yeah. Scorsese. No, it's, it's, it's Scorsese. Scorsese. But people say Scorsese, Scorsese because... So, like, basically what ends up happening when, some, when someone gets famous, I think, is that the name gets so messed up and commonly that it just becomes their name. Yes. So, like, I mean, like, Martin Scorsese is wrong, but everyone calls him Martin Scorsese. I hate you. So either I way, you Sean, guys. you're wrong. I hate you guys. No, Wait, Gabe, Gabe what is wrong. that? Is that an audio thing that you can play? Can you add it to the show? You're going to add it to the show. Add it to the show and post. I don't hear Gabe. I can't no, hear, turn I your microphone you, on, dude. Yeah, I don't think there's a copyright on that. I can probably do you it. You think so? All right. Add it. Yeah, it's a Google search, right? Can you copyright a Google search? No, you can't at all. So if there's it's just audio a video she made for Google. It, then just play it in the show. How to pronounce Charlize Theron. Well, that was it. Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron. Not Charlize Theron, but Charlize Theron. It's one okay. of, it's you're wrong. It's one of the names that you that is basically acceptable Theron? to say Theron. wrong. I, what, what other what what other names are acceptable to say wrong? Gorsese, Schwar- Theron, Theron, who else? Schwarzenegger. <laughs> there's a couple others that are like Schwarzenegger. There's a couple others that are actually okay. Like oh, people Sylvester just say Stallion. Right, Stallion. That's all right. That so the time. weekly poll. This this, this episode's gonna be like four hours long. <laughs> Tom Hanks. <laughs> Tom, Tom Hanks. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Jakey. What I don't care. Movie, I don't care. Whatever. What movie just... of all those? Palm Springs. Palm Springs dominated. I, mean, I, I, I was going to say Palm Springs, actually, because I feel you like didn't. we really talked it up on the show last week. You said you didn't care. And not only did we talk it up on the show, but I saw a lot of people in the Real Blend community on the Facebook page and on our social media, raving about the movie, that they checked it out, had a lot of fun with it. It was one of the most fun things that they saw this year. Uh, I think that's really cool. Now, what makes me sad about that is that that's the prime movie where if theaters were still open, it would be a breakout hit, right? Like word of mouth would power it. Maybe it wouldn't open to a huge number, but more people would go check it out. Um, So I I wish that that movie had a great sort of run through theaters because I just think... It would perform really well with a crowd and uh, it would have been it would have been a fun theatrical experience. But I'm glad it's on Hulu and people can check it out. So um, that was our weekly poll where I learned how to pronounce Charlize Theron and uh, and how to mispronounce Tom Hanks. So, all right. This week's interview. This is uh, Rebecca Dinerstein Knight, who ended up being an incredibly sweet participant uh, in the Real Blend Community. Uh, she was a really great interview. She is promoting her film, The Sunlit Night, with uh, Jenny Slate. So, uh, without further ado, the Real Blend interview with Rebecca Dinerstein Knight. Um, so, I was researching and, and listening back through a ton of um, fun interviews with you when the film was going through Sundance. And I loved the story that you told about uh, Jenny Slate on Twitter and, and uh, finding her that way. And so, I'm just curious uh, for people who don't know, essentially, they passed each other. Uh, 
she decided to use social media to her advantage and, and catch a celebrity's eye. And Jake is doing that a ton nowadays to try to get Zoom interviews. So I want to know how you use social media now. Are you still trying to use it to reach out to people? Is it successful? Like, was that the first way that you sort of knocked down a wall to, to reach out to your, your idols? <laughs> wow, cool question. Um, <laughs> I am using it less and less as I, as I sort of feel like uh, many people might be. I mean, or maybe it's going more and more. Who can say? I tweeted at Jenny in 2014 when Twitter felt like very young and fresh to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't, I mean, who would know what would happen today? Jenny is so exuberant and so generous that maybe if it happened again right now, well, not right now, but uh, at an, in another time, she would still respond. But it, there was a certain innocence to uh, a tweet six years ago just landing at its target and being received with a lot of warmth. If there's anybody, if there's any celebrity out there who's going to still do that, it's Jenny Slate. Um, but I'm really happy it happened when it happened. For sure. What was your exact tweet out of curiosity? Do you remember what you said? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, what a day at Jenny Slate blew me a kiss. And the tweet. Um, and Jenny responded, Sorry, we didn't get a chance to chat. I was on the phone, which yeah. was like exceptionally generous because I was an anonymous fan who had awkwardly applauded at her in the middle of a park. So, um, are you now more open to people tweeting you and potentially like trying to start conversations? Cause then you could say like, well, I was that person once and someone <laughs> gave me a shot. So maybe I should give this person a shot too. Totally. That's, that's, um, a really cool question. Um, uh, yes, but I I love it when people. I mean, some. I just had a new book come out at Hex, and people wrote to me on Instagram direct messenger, which was new. Feels like a new way to hmm. communicate. Um, and that was so beautiful. I got the most extraordinary essays on on DM about the book and about how they read it. And I loved it. And I love responding to it. And I, I totally feel that tenderness for this can be a meaningful interaction. Um, but, you know, people have got to play play nice to get nice. In that uh, all those DMs are not usually that positive. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look at, look at our DMs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're never you that know, nice. <laughs> Rebecca, um, I find it so interesting when an author adapts their own book. I mean, it's, it's a very fascinating thing to think about because film and books are two completely different mediums that, and, and narrative works different in each of them. Uh, you could do certain things in books that you can't do in films and vice versa. Um, so I was just interested for you from a, um, from when you write the screenplay from your book, what are some things that you had to let go that you kind of were upset you had to let go because they didn't work in a narrative structure of a film but then, or did you adjust them somehow to work in a film? What are some examples of those? Yeah, wow. Um, I mean, so much on two levels, because first there's the compression of the book to the screenplay, and then there's the compression of what we shot to what's in the film. Mm. Um, oh, wow. And I will say actually that what what's more actively heartbreaking to me, and not heartbreaking, but just what I miss more acutely is stuff that we shot that is so gorgeous that didn't make it into the movie because it didn't fit structurally. Um, I don't know if that's more immediate because I remember it so vividly. I mean, I wrote the book 
like over a decade ago and we shot it two summers ago and it was the coolest thing to shoot it. Um, so everything we lost from that shot, um, I really miss. But at this point, I don't mind at all how different it is from the book. Um, I'm so pumped about where it has landed and what it is now. And I think it's kind of an extraordinary expression of the book's essence, even though it's different and it's missing a ton of characters and most of what happened. No, that's not true. I was going to say most of what happens in the book doesn't happen in the movie. It's not quite most, but Mm. it's a a different, it's definitely a different piece of art. And I think they're both doing their right thing. Was there one particular thing that was struggle with that was hard to transition to a film? Like, well, you write it in your book and you go, Oh my gosh, I really want that in the film. But then you had to adjust it somehow, or you just had to lose it. Yeah, I mean, what was hard for us is that the book is really equally about Yasha and Francis. It goes back and forth between them absolutely equally. And we filmed it that way, but um, we wound up really needing to tell one story. Mm. And focusing on Francis's story really allowed us to make the, the film coherent in a way that a novel just has more room to tell stories simultaneously. Um, so that, that was tough, but I really like where we landed with it. Cool. You know, I I always love when, uh, because I feel like it's a rare privilege for an author to be able to adapt the screenplay for the movie based on their book. And I know anyone who's ever sort of had that experience of reading a book and then seeing the movie, you sit there and you kind of do that very obnoxious thing. You're like, well, actually that's not what happened. X, Y, and Z happened because I read the book. So, um, I was just sort of curious if, there were any uh, cinematic adaptations out there that you wish that the author had been able, him or he or she had been able to actually write the screenplay because then it maybe actually would have been better. Wow. Um, you know, I don't know how much Jonathan Seffern Foer had to do with the everything that was illuminated adaptation, mm. uh, but I know that they cut out, like the wacky um, voice driven stuff out of that adaptation, which is totally the center of the book. Um, And I don't think that that was his doing because that's very much the heart of what that book was doing. So um, that was an example where I feel like it lost its mojo and he would have kept it in. Um, But that's a good one. one. That's a really good one. I'm stepping over Sean for a second because I because Jake's question just kind of brought something in my mind. How dare you? I'm sorry, Sean. I love you, buddy. <laughs> I'll, I'll call you later and apologize. Uh, no, but uh, uh, but in general, like you do hear of certain authors that say that they'll never turn a book into a movie. Uh, I believe was it Catcher in the Rye was one of them. I believe that will never. Uh, and then uh, the gentleman who wrote the uh, like Watchmen, um, he was, apparently did not want to be involved in those film adaptations. Um, What are your thoughts on just in general, like Hollywood does really go after books, right? And they look for these amazing stories. Do you, as an author yourself, what do you find, do you find it interesting that some authors don't want that transition? Yeah, interesting and um, a bummer. You know, um, it was the greatest pleasure of my life to be a part of this movie. Um, And obviously, uh, I think most young writers feel that way. I don't think that's a special way to feel. And I do think that if you're astronomically established and 
not willing to put in 16 hour days on set and not willing to compromise with a director who's going to unravel and rewind your work. Mm. Um, I can see it, but for me being able to, um, totally hand over something to a new set of creative talents, like be a part of that set environment, um, work with it day in and day out. It was a total pleasure and, uh, I'd, I'd recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Rebecca, we've had conversations with, with, um, directors over the years who have talked about how important the opening scene of their film is, um, because in those moments, they that's the 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 most dedicated they have an audience member you know the 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 film has just opened and it could be citizen kane or it might be you know police academy five and then they're not sure yet they got to wait and see how it plays out um you open with a scene that was that that hurt me so much it was so brutal it was these three critics um picking apart a, a portrait essentially and it's only um, after a minute or two that you pan over and realize that the artist is sitting there. So right. I was, I was uh, intrigued uh, when I realized that you reviewed for a while. You reviewed restaurants and you reviewed books. And, and I didn't know if that came from any place of um, <laughs> guilt <laughs> at the, critics, the criticism you had to level. Or did you ever have to like critique something in front of a person as they were sitting there? It was such a specific dig or joke that I was like, that has to come from someplace emotional. Well, first of all, very dope work that you just did because nobody has ever put that together and well done. I don't know. That was great. Um, Interview prep. uh, It goes a long way. (laughs) Rebecca, I got to say this in a weird way that we were texting today about the word dope, literally texting today about about how underrated that word is. Oh, it's (laughs) Just said dope. Yeah. is the weirdest coincidence ever. We just talked about that today. On Our producer, Excellent. Gabe, uses it all the time. He's That's very so crazy. weird. Completely, all right, go ahead. Completely clutch vocab there. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you. this is a classic like English student example where you've made a connection that is so sharp and so cool and not at all something I was thinking of or aware of. Like, uh, First of all, it's not the beginning of the novel. It's not even close to the beginning of the novel. Second of all, it's not even the way that I think I remember wanting to start the movie. Third of all, uh, you know, it is related to, it is related to experiences that I think every artist has had of crits, like in writing workshops, things get torn apart and it's miserable and you're sitting right there and you can't do anything about it. So I was able to write that from experience. Mm. Um, but it wasn't a dig so much as just the truth of where Francis is. I mean, that's just what happens. Mm. Um, and it's a very different sort of humiliation than the way the book opens, which is with like sexual humiliation. Um, so I'm glad it's art humiliation instead because it <laughs> would have been a really different movie to start it the way the book starts. Sure. I think a, a publicity moment for this movie should be like a critic reviewing your film and then we pan over to you listening to it. Like, <laughs> that'd be a- you know it's happened. You can find it if you want. <laughs> it's available. Uh, <laughs> well, the line where the guy says, it, he goes, it's actually making me angry. And then there's yeah. a long beat and the other guy says, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Rebecca, um, one thing I love about the, the, the visuals in this film, it's, it's a gorgeous film. You can see it in the trailers. Like it's, a, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous film. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the challenge to writing 
gorgeous, colorful moments like that. In the sense of like on your page, on your screenplay, like do you do you detail like how beautiful the landscape looks or mm-hmm. like? And I, w- I want to just add a little bit to that because it's like part of the thing is the assignment that that Jenny Slate's characters to do is yeah. paint a barn yellow. And when it's described that way, I was like, yeah. it's like manual labor. But then when they start doing it, I was like, there's so many shades of yellow. It's so, mm. it's so beautiful. So yeah, thank so how, you, Kevin, how, for asking that. Yeah. How do you, how do you <laughs> include like the colorful nature of your, of your setting and your script? That's such a nice question. Um, wow. I come from a poetry background. So I was living up in the Arctic, writing a book of poems about how beautiful the Arctic is. So that is like very much my training, like writing about beauty and why it's beautiful and how it's beautiful. And in a poetic way is, totally the name of my game the fact yeah. that somebody let me make a movie about how beautiful Norway is, <laughs> is like such a gift because it's not violent and it's not um even dramatic it's just like this place is beautiful let's look at it um and this incredible team of producers were like yeah let's do this. <laughs> let's look at it um which is just what the movie is doing um but yeah i've spent i don't know i guess 15 years writing about beauty so that is mm. my trade um and then we also had an incredible team our director really understood how to make things vibrant we had a norwegian guy named urian painting that barn in real time and he oh, made wow. it. he asked me what's going on here for you visually and i said munk um the norwegian painter um who is known for the scream but actually if you look at his landscape paintings they're immense and colorful um and then this painter alf salo who was really up in the arctic who focused on yellow and we looked at a bunch of his work and we looked at a bunch of monk and this guy just got to work um the barn is really there it's an extraordinary place if you ever have a chance to go to the arctic um but everybody just believed in the beauty of the landscape up there and it worked cool yeah. You know, when, when any person reads a book, uh, obviously we, we envision it in our head. We sort of cast it in our head and, you know, all four of us could read the same book and it would look different in all four of our minds. So when they start casting the roles, is there any part of you that, I mean, I mean, obviously like everyone did a great job, but is there any part of you that sort of like looked at any of the casting and went like, huh, like that's, that's not quite how I picture it. Well, that's such a mean question. I'm not going to answer it. How <laughs> <laughs> to say who? Name names. <laughs> no. Um, oh, shoot. Or, okay, let me, let me rephrase it so it's less mean. Yeah. Like, were, there, were there moments where you just sort of were maybe um, the vision that was brought onto the film made you look at your own work differently? Cool. Uh, That's better. Repurpose out. (laughs) And and, and to adding, I think what Jake's trying to say is when you saw Jenny play the character or any actor play the character, how did it change the character you wrote in your book from, I think that's what Jake was trying to get at. It was like, like, did it change the perspective of like the person you wrote? Did Jenny bring something new to that person? Teamwork. Teamwork. I love it. We're getting there. We're getting there. Great. Jenny made the character like brave and funny and, um, hot and all kinds of things that the character in the book is in the character in the book is like confused and lonely and um, whatever. I mean, <laughs> not to like condemn my own book, but the character in the book is, is young and confused and Jenny is like smart and powerful. Mm. Um, so that was a great transformation that I really embraced. Um, 
what else? I mean, the the parent characters are pretty right on. Um, Nils, who is totally central to the book, was played perfectly, I feel, by Friedrich Sohan. So not a lot of dissatisfaction. Um, and the places where it did transform, as I've said, were sort of delightful um, because I wrote the book when I was young and it's nice to see it take on a slightly more mature form. Um, mm. So no dirt, no gossip from me. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get you out of here on this last question. Uh, Hex, obviously, uh, is uh, out now. Uh, people can people can get Hex now. Is that right? They sure can. Look, it's right here. And Look are you going down this process uh, for a, a Hex film adaptation? Or was this, are you really? Oh, is that already started? Yeah, all day. I've been working on it. <laughs> are you adapting your screenplay like, like you did last time? Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very. Where are you at? Is it easier? Is it easier yeah. to? Uh, it's slightly easier because the novel is basically a screenplay. I was writing the novel while uh-huh. we were rewriting the Sunland Night screenplay for Zach Gathanakis. So the whole book is like dialogue to begin with. So that, that's definitely easier. But I'm looking at it for a television format, for a series format. So that's oh. a little bit new. Um, and it's really exciting. And um, I'm still pretty early on in, in treatments and stuff. But I think it's going to roll right out. That's awesome. Rebecca, uh, I, I know we're letting you go. I just want to tell you the line that I liked that it's also in the trailer, the line about it's almost so beautiful, it looks like a bad painting. It's like, I feel like that reminded me of when you look at a TV and it's pl- it's playing that motion smoothing yeah. thing. You're like, oh, yeah. it looks so good, it looks bad. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how that, that's <laughs> that's what the, it was. That line. You do what? We really had to like strike that balance up there because it's ridiculous. It's it's yeah. like a joke about itself. It could look see it could look CG or green screen. That that's where you you, you almost can go down that path. It could look yeah. there are things that look so good they could look bad. It's exactly. so weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that line. It just helped me explain that in my mind more. So Well, thank we you. would thank you so much for joining the Real Blend podcast. Thank you guys, you guys are a riot. Thank you uh, for having thank me. Thank you. Oh good. Thank you. And and we're gonna point everybody to go see Sunlit Night um on July seventeenth through various portals. Uh obviously we're still trying to figure out what's going on, but I'm pretty sure it's gonna be on digital and, and some sort it's of release. Digital, it's there for you and I hope you love it. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Well you will. You absolutely will. We've been able to see it and I can tell you guys that it's a it's a great film structured yeah. around the the always brilliant Jenny Slate. So thank you, Rebecca, yeah. for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Rebecca. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Obviously, we want to thank Rebecca for coming on Real Blend and be sure to look out for the Sunlit Night when it reaches paid VOD on Friday. Uh, the, we're going to have a review of that later on in the show. Talking points. There was the oh, Kevin, only, I'm sorry. The only thing I didn't get to ask her was yeah. when they slated on set. Like, was there like an inside <laughs> joke? I, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like... If they're slating the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's got to be a little bit of a bit, right? Slate on slate. Where they do that, kind of. (laughs) You should have asked her that. That'd be a really good question. What am I thinking? What am I doing with my life? (laughs) How did I not get that answer? Damn it. Gabe, can you email her a follow-up question? We'll run it on next week's show. (laughs) All right. uh, Talking points. There's a trailer that dropped recently uh, for an Amazon Prime film that's coming on July 24th. And if we had Oscars anymore, it would might it might contend for for a number of categories, especially for Rosamund Pikes, who looks fantastic. She's playing Marie Curie in a film called Radioactive. Um, trailer just dropped. You guys can check it out if you want to. I thought it looked really, really interesting. It 
it's funny. We just had a conversation the other day about biopics and what, like what makes some of them interesting versus other ones that are not. There's a hook in the middle of this one that really was a gut punch to me. I won't tell you guys what it is in case you want to watch the trailer or maybe even go into this story blind. And I kind of think at this point, all three of us are on board with anything that Rosamund Pike does. So um, I assume this is something you guys feel like checking out. You'll you'll see when it comes to Amazon Prime. Yeah, I, for me, it kind of falls under that uh, biopic umbrella where I think the performance looks better than the actual movie does, mm. um, which tends to be, for me, kind of my issue with films like that. I think she looks absolutely incredible, and it does not surprise me in the least bit. The movie itself, I think, looks fine. Um, I knew a little bit about that story kind of going in, so I knew the direction it was heading. Um, and if, if you don't know much about the story, uh, I would argue just wait until you see the film because it's going to take some really interesting directions that you might not expect. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I think that, like I said, I think the movie looks fine, but I think she looks fantastic. So obviously, yeah, definitely worthy of my time. Yeah. And I was telling you guys prior to the segment that when I watched the trailer, I couldn't help, but think about the, the slates they were putting up, um, that, that literally looked like shape of water, like, yeah. like the trailer, yeah. like you ever notice that sometimes where like studios try to recapitalize on, the way a trailer well, looked. Well, I like think you a lot see of it, it too. I don't. Th- I don't think they're ripping off trailers. There, there are studies that have been shown about like what color on color looks mm. best to right. the human eye, which is why there are so many posters that use orange and blue because that is proven to right. be one of the most like like fusionable uh, two yeah. colors together. So I think I think a lot of times it's less. I, I you know I really don't think that they looked at the Shape of Water trailer and sure. went like, hey, let's. I think it was more of like, oh, like these two colors look good against it's each other. It's not only just the colors, it's the font, though. Like it's the font. The font. Of, yeah, there's, okay, all right, all right. There's all right, water fair. bubbles. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 but <laughs> in general, though, uh, Rosamund Pike, like we were talking about off, off air earlier, ever since Stop. Gone It's not Girl. Rosamund, is it? It's Rosamund. Rosamund? Oh, I, call, I, I swear God. to God, I, I swear to God I'm not doing podcast? a bit. I swear to God I'm not doing a bit. It's I Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike. Is that wrong? I would have said, if I had to put money down, I would have said Rosamund Pike. There you well, go. I mean, who's to say? Who's, who's I, to say? Am I batting a thousand on this show? <laughs> no. By Rosamund Pike. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Obviously, her performance was incredible in Gone Girl, so I'm mm. all in on anything she does. Uh, so good. There are, like, you know, this is actually a biopic that I find that I want to I want to learn from like mm-hmm. like Hidden Figures was, was was a film that I learned a lot about a story. Uh, I don't know a ton about this story. So that's why I'm kind of interested in seeing it from that perspective. And I saw Theory of Everything was mentioned in the in the in the in the Jenny Slate in the in the in the uh, trailer. And it basically said, like, you know, from from the producers of Theory of Everything. Right. And like that was actually a solid biopic. I thought I thought they did a really good job with that. I mean, there are times where like these biopics check off certain boxes but I don't know this story that well, and I'm actually interested in seeing it. I just think her performance looks incredible, so I'm all in. All right, this is going to somewhat feed into the next conversation that we're about to have, but I'm going to make a confession that I don't hate all these movies coming to streaming. It's kind of nice on a Saturday night to hop over to Hulu and watch Palm Springs or to just have the old guard waiting on Netflix. Like, I know that we're a champion of movie theaters and, and believe me when movie theaters open back up, I'm, I'm there, but I'm getting a little bit sp- between Hamilton going to Disney plus and Palm Springs coming to Hulu. And, and I'm just, I'm starting to get a little bit conditioned to, Hey, it's not so bad having these new movies waiting it's, for me it's on my best TV. case scenario of a worst case scenario. Yeah. That's one way to look at it. I again, yeah, I don't want it to become the norm, but I'd be lying if I said it wasn't 
the convenience of it is is a little bit is a little bit nice. So yeah. uh, let's get to the next topic of conversation, which sort of goes along with that. And that's when movie theaters are going to open. So we have nothing concrete to talk about this week in terms of anything else being delayed. Um, but a box office analyst early on Monday, which is when we are recording this episode, came out with a statement saying it's it's uh, unlikely that Tenet is going to be able to keep its August release date and had no real basis for how to back that up or just basically with the way that numbers are trending and and how states are a lot of states are going in the wrong direction. And especially here in the U.S. where where we all are and where we're recording our thing. And 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 mind, mind you, in no way, shape or form are the four of us trying to tell you that we are medical professionals or have any insight into what theaters should or should not do. But we kind of landed on a conversation in our text thread <clears throat> about movies potentially opening uh, around the world and not here in the U.S. and whether they would would do well. So we wanted to bring up the topic of should movies begin to open without the U.S. market uh, and and start to te- capitalize on some box office. And we, we lean into Tenet because Nolan is one of those directors who, on a global scale, is going to do uh, better internationally, I think, than uh, they would in the States. Uh, he has a global following, and I think that Warner Brothers would probably be looking to their international market to boost that. I think Mulan is another film that's very similar to that. In the text chain, Kevin was rattling off how Wonder Woman and Black Widow would also probably do really well overseas. And if the situations are better overseas, uh, should they open? Uh, it should Should those movie theaters be able to open and maybe carry new product when the U.S. are not able to. But then, Jake, you brought up a really good point of saying that already China has had to close a couple of times after reopening. And then right after that, you opened a story or shared a story about Hong Kong having to close its theaters uh, after a third wave of coronavirus. So where are we at? Do you guys think that it's feasible or or advised even uh, that the studios, Hollywood studios, in an effort to save our industry... Because it's looking that dire, I'm not really exaggerating, in an effort to save our industry and just get movies back into the marketplace, how do you guys feel about uh, film? some films opening globally without opening here? I think it would be uh, incredibly arrogant to try to say that like, the rest of the world should wait on America to open up movies mm-hmm. um i think that that is the equivalent of that person in your workplace that didn't watch this week's episode of game of thrones and like four days later is telling everyone oh you can't talk about it because <laughs> i haven't watched it yet it's a good analogy um, i mean if other countries you know it, it's, especially if a large portion of the world has been following the rules has been wearing masks has been doing what they need to do to combat covid19 and they are seeing uh the positive uh repercussions of that and that they are moving in a generally positive direction and they mm-hmm. feel that they can safely open safely open movie theaters. Mm-hmm. Who are we as a country to say, no, you all have to wait for us because we haven't really been following the rules and we haven't been listening to the top medical experts. And because of that, we can't open our movie theaters. Therefore, you can't open yours either. And oh. so I feel like it's it's incredibly arrogant to try to stop people from doing that. And also like. It's going to help save an industry that we all love. Like, I'm sorry, like if if someone in another country is going to get to see Tenet before I am. But if that ensures that that people have jobs, if that ensures that it it uh, helps out people both working in movie theaters and uh, you know at multifaceted uh, levels of an industry that I deeply care about, 
then then I'm sorry. I might end up getting tenant ruined for me, but that's a sacrifice that I think anyone uh, should be willing to make. All right, so to throw it back at you just slightly, um, America, whether rightly or wrongly, um, claims to be the leader in in film production because of Hollywood, right? And, and the Hollywood product that most people are, there are other, they're regional film industries. China has its own film industry. Uh, Italy obviously has its own film industry. There's other places that produce other titles, but but cinemas around the world rely on Hollywood and the and the movies that are produced for them to entertain them on a grand scale. So those countries can still open and produce their own and sh- and start to show their own movies if they want to. Um, I think it would be such a huge boost for them if they were able to have those new movies that opened. Kev, where are you at with this? Well, for me personally, I think I, as, as I mentioned earlier in the text thread, it's about survival of the movie industry. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you think about what this would do. So the question being, OK, so Tenet can't open if it can't open in the U.S. in August because of our current state uh, and with, with if cases are spiking again, if movie theaters are closed. But there are other countries around the world that are in a better spot than we are that can operate, that can open theaters, that can give jobs, as Jake was saying. Um, I Listen, I, as somebody who wants to see Tenant so badly, um, I would rather the industry survive uh, with the idea of movies opening internationally and just wait for it on my own. It happens all the time. Films open here all the time, then open up internationally later on. Uh, and there's that spoiler idea. Then you were about piracy. Piracy is a big question here as well. Huge. Uh, you open up you open up Tenet or Mulan or No Time to Die internationally and then you don't do it in the U.S. People are going to find a way to get it. And then the U and then that's going to be a problem in itself. Now, piracy is going to happen regardless of what we say and what we do. Sure. Um, but it would be a very big deal for Americans uh, not to have tenant and the rest of the world has it and they know what the movie's about. And then we're here. I mean, there's no way it's not going to get back to us somehow. Um, but on a on a money scale, I find these numbers very interesting. So let's look at two major releases, tenant and no time to die. Mm. Okay, no time to die first. Skyfall um, was a movie that made one point one billion dollars at the box office. Eight hundred and four million of that was international. Three hundred and four was domestic. Wow. So if you are the studio and you could make close to a billion dollars internationally without the U.S. distribution. And that will help to ensure that the movie industry remains open, that the (laughs) that theaters remain open. I don't see that being a problem. And then one of the other things I discussed earlier in the thread was Avengers Endgame. Avengers Endgame made one point nine billion of its two point seven billion internationally. Mm -hmm. Um, Less, you know, that's a really big chunk of change. And I've said this on the show multiple times. International box office has become more important than domestic. It Mm. It just has. They are making films to appease the global audiences. Um, Fast and Furious is a global brand. Mm-hmm. That movie would still crush without the United States, probably more so uh, internationally than it would here. So I, I honestly point, think if Mulan could open in China tomorrow, Disney would open it. Would, it. Right. Yeah. And so the I point, the, I guess the question is, should this happen? Um, mm-hmm. Our country is obviously in a very bad spot right now. Um, And I do not think other countries should have to, again, like Jake was saying, suffer our consequences in regards to if we can't open up, but they can. Why can't they move on with their lives? You know, and maybe it would be a wake up call for everybody in our country. And, you know, you open up. Hey, you know what? We're going to give 
uh, other countries these movies, but you guys can't have them because we're not following the guidelines as a general country. Sure. Um, so I, I find that to be maybe a bit of a wake up call. You know, if a massive film can't open up here and again, this is movies. Uh, there's a lot more wicked calls that could happen in real life and, and things like that. But there but are we're not things listening that are, to those wake up calls. We're right. not listening to hospitalizations and, but, right. and trending They're, numbers. But people love movies. So if yeah. you take movies away from them, it's almost like a kid, right? Uh, we're going to take this away from you until you yeah. until you actually it's, act you're, accordingly. It's you being great. You've been grounded you're being grounded. Yeah. And you're and you're, yeah. and you're sitting at your window watching the rest of your friends play outside Here's the while, thing. while you're staying inside. We're sitting here right now and we do not know and probably think that movie theaters are not going to open this year and or new movies are going to go in theaters this year. They're probably right. going to be pushed to 2021. That's where we're where we're thinking at the moment. Um, and the waves and the spikes and the cases are increasing in the in the country. Um, I've been seeing ads all over different parts of the world for tenant, like on staircases in like different parts of the world that I think are places that the movie could open safely. I think I read today that New Zealand was virus free. I don't know mm -hmm. if I read that correctly. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there are so many countries that these movie the movie companies could still make a ton of money well, on. If Warner Brothers needs to make money, No Time to Die is a perfect international release. Sure. That that is a British film. So in, in regards to, you know, where it comes from initially. But I do think that this is a conversation that needs to be had if we and I say survival, because if this is the only way to keep the industry afloat. While our country gets our act together in regards to this virus, um, I think I think I'm okay with it. Well, I'll say this too. I guarantee this is a conversation that's taking place right now at the studio level. And not to break it down in a cold-hearted way, but I'm sure they're measuring numbers. And I'm sure they're measuring markets. And if they got to a point where enough markets were safe enough to open up in, I bet you they would pull the trigger and do it. Um, but I want to bring up a personal story because Michelle and I went to uh, church on Sunday for the first time since the pandemic happened. And we, the two of us went without the boys because we wanted to sort of scope out and see how they were doing it. Right. Like, I was just really curious about the, the process. I was so impressed by the organization um, of the church to get people into it. They had uh, people standing at the doors, giving you hand sanitizer as you walked in. They had an usher who met you and brought you to a seat um, so that you maintained social distancing. They had their pews were um, alternate so that you couldn't use one, but you could use the other. Um, when you sat in it, you uh, were socially distanced from anybody else in the seats. Um, but communion, we're, we're Catholic and communion, the process was fascinating to me. The priest wore um, a full on PPE mask, uh, like a like a visor. Yeah. And a mask. They wow. handed communion out to um, families who were in a group. Uh, and in between each thing, they he they washed their hands in holy water um, then and dried off with a tissue, then used hand sanitizer and then handed out to the next person. If you went as an individual and not as a family, they washed their hands and did the sanitation in between each person. The process to give out communion took far longer than it should have ever done. But they did this to maintain uh the the uh, precautions. That's so interesting. And watching it, I was like, these are all lessons that a movie theater can can put into practice. There's uh, a key difference, though. Is you're, it concessions? You're talking about one church. Yeah. Versus a theater that has 20 screens. Right. And then 4000 of those across the country would all have to be exactly like literally micro 
exactly what you're saying. But and I think that's the that's the issue, though, is like like you're going to church with families and it feels safe because it sounds like everybody in your church was playing was was going along with the safety precautions. Right. Sure. Yes. Of course. I don't know that we can trust everybody else in the world to yeah. not do that. You know, no, I totally understand. Um, and because one other thing that, that bothers me about people having conversations about movie theaters uh, and saying like they weren't the cleanest places in the world to begin with and the way that people behaved uh, by leaving a lot of trash or, or sitting up close to everybody. I would by going back to church, church was a different place. And I kind of think that when we go back to movie theaters, movie theaters are going to be a different place. Um, and 100%. they're going to, they're going to be a system where you, because you want to be back there, you're going to almost follow the rules. Now you're right. I, you can't put that much faith into the, the amount of people and the way that they're going to behave. But, but the church obviously went through a lot of uh, effort to bring in volunteers and have people giving out hand sanitizer if the theaters need to hire additional people to come and watch that that multiplex to make sure that rules are being enforced or else they're not going to be able to open business. Like, doesn't that seem like yeah. maybe well, you are going to have to do that? All right. Let's look at it. Let's look at it from like a, a, and it a creates much, jobs. It would create yeah, a job. Yeah. If we lay it out like this, that's a great point. All right. Let's let, let's look at a 25 screen theater. AMC yes. Empire 25 in New York. Okay. OK, so theoretically, AMC opens up. Um, they hire 25 people to guard and watch each door. Perhaps. Right yes. now. OK, so I went. So the other day I went to Six Flags. I did a, I did a, I did some segments from Six Flags. And when I went to Six Flags, I every segment that morning was about the different checks that they were doing leading into Six Flags. So as okay. I entered the park, I was temperature checked. I was ninety seven point five, whatever it was. Then as I entered the park again, they put a fake weapon in my pocket so we could show people that you could go through security touchless. So they put like a fake gun in my pocket. I walk through. They show me on a screen where the image is. They have me remove the image and then put it to the side. No one touches me. No one pats me down. Oh, wow. Um, then as I entered the park, uh, I had to keep a face mask on the entire time. Mm -hmm. 90 degree heat. Right. So you're walking through the park. Uh, certain elements of the water park were operating. Certain elements of the park were not. Um, and then as you, you could remove your mask if you wanted to and eat and drink and then put your mask back on, mm -hmm. which still is kind of dicey to do in a theater because you're in an enclosed environment. Um, so then they're not going to forego that, though, because that's where they make their money. Concessions. Yeah. Right. So people people who know people who know how movie theaters operate, they don't make their money on ticket sales. It's all that's why popcorn Popcorn costs them, what, 25 cents to make it. They sell it to you for I don't know, $12, whatever yes. it is. So at the end of the day, it's an interesting thing. And I told you guys this. I, I've been I was on that train all the way up through basically the end of June that I was like, yeah. I'm pumped to get back in. Then I went to, to Ocean City, saw the boardwalk. And I was like, I just I, I just can't trust people to do that. So mm -hmm. my, my, I guess the, the end of the all be all thing here would be is if you have 25 in. So with theaters temperature check, they could because the way six flags worked was I just walked through a through a thing and there was and, and the guy just looked at my temperature and that was it. So maybe families go in at a time and if your temperature check now temperature only gives you that one element, you could still have coronavirus without a fever. Sure. So I don't know. I, don't know. I can't I can't foresee a logical way that 4,000 screens yeah. will be able to operate with that certainty. Like with a church, 
you have a certainty because it's kind of controlled. It's one place, right? So mm-hmm. everyone's kind of like parking. They're going in. There's but not but multiple it, to, to that idea, isn't a theater just a collection of that one? Like it's twenty five yes. one places, right? Twenty five. You know, one places. so if you so, treat if you treat each individual theater, yeah, with the care and precision that Sean's church was treated. If you came and to Sean's point, if this is your only option, like yeah. if this is like if it's it's if it's feast or famine, if it's like either we bust our ass to make sure people are safe or we don't open our doors. Right. To me, that's an easy choice. Like, Sean, is, is it inconvenient? Sure. But we we don't have a lot of options these days. And I because it, it was all still reduced capacity, which a lot which yeah. made it manageable, you know, and each yeah. of these theaters, these each of these houses would be reduced capacity. You know, you're going to get a handful of people or, or the majority of people who still would say, God, no, I'm not going back. But you'd get the people who do want to be in the theater and, and they'd be under safe uh, situations, you would assume. However, now that we're at this point, there's breaking news even regarding this uh, as we're having this conversation. Literally, this story just broke as we were doing it. Uh, Jakey, what'd you find? I do I do have a quick question, though, before you, before you go. I know the story you're going into because this is something I find interesting. Yeah. Um, Tenant Oak, August 12th is the yeah. date, right? So we have the worldwide and then we have the domestic. What would your personal feelings be as an industry, Sean, if they went the route of the international release and made us wait for Tenant till next year? Mm, uh, if it meant... Uh, pu- uh, pumping some money into the film industry as a whole, I would support it. I, w- I would support I it. I think I would too. I mean, I, I would feel like if it saves the too. overall industry. Yeah. What is the breaking news uh, uh, regarding the, this? The breaking situation? news that actually was discovered by Gabe, uh, the, uh, the governor of California has issued a statewide closure order of indoor movie theaters and restaurants, which is pretty massive. That's almost them um, going back to phase effective, one. Yeah, effective immediately. And we're not talking like a city, because if I if I recall, Atlanta just rolled back to phase one. This is statewide. Um, as we're talking about the state of California. Um, you know, I don't want to sit here and read the whole article for you, but that, yeah. it just broke while we were, um, uh, you know, while, while we were talking about that, which is, right. I mean, that's a big, that's a big deal. Let's speculate about um, fun future movies. <laughs> instead of the movies that we will never get to see anytime soon. Uh, Kill Bill Volume 3. For some reason, is all over the news as of late, uh, with fan speculation and casting of who might potentially play the daughter of Vivica A. Fox, who, spoiler alert, got killed in Kill Bill Volume 1, and uh, the bride saw her daughter. Does the daughter have a name? Kevin, does the daughter have a name? Wait, you're talking about the daughter in Kill the, Bill? Vivica A. Fox's daughter. Ooh. Did she have a daughter? Did she I have a don't name? Remember she definitely had a name, I just can't remember what it she was. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. Uh, so they want to potentially have Zendaya's name was floated uh, as someone who is the right age to play uh, 17 years after. The, the, I, the idea being that the young girl would come back because the bride basically leaves the room after killing Vivica A. Fox and says, hey, like, when you get old enough. Yeah. If you still have an issue with this, you come find me. And yeah, what's the line? Would. If you're if you still feel sour about this, what's the line? She says, like, it's a, pretty it's a, it's a, it's a really great idea. That's yeah. not going to happen. Why? OK, why are you saying that it won't happen? I mean, it feels like something I, fun to do. Like, I just said as a tease. I don't think one. I don't think that he's going to have that be his last movie, especially okay. because I mean, it'd be one thing if he genuinely saw Kill Bill as two movies and the idea could be that this could be the third and wrap up a Kill Bill trilogy. Right. But the thing is, he sees Kill Bill as one movie 
rightfully so. And this just feels sort of like a tacked on thing that doesn't really have anything to do with what Kill Bill was about. And because of that, it doesn't feel like I think he's putting a lot of stock and a lot of thought into what his last 10th film is going to be. And to me, Kill Bill Volume 3 falls in line with Vega Brothers, where it's just sort of like, yeah, it's a fun idea to imagine what would happen, but it ain't ever going to happen. Let me ask this. What if a filmmaker that he really admires wants to take the idea and do it and Quentin gives him his blessing? Has he? No, I don't. I don't think he would ever do that. Why not? I think the days of him giving his characters to someone else are gone. When's the last time he did that? Was it was it from he wrote it, though? Oh, he wrote it. That's he wrote it and just let someone and pick someone else. I think the problem is I think he. See, it's different. I I, you know, I I think, you know, because obviously he did that with um, from dusk till dawn. I think the bride is too much of his oh baby. God. What if he wrote it and Rodriguez, Rodriguez directed, directed it? it? Well, I think automatically too. Kevin, but like, what do you think? So I, honestly, I think the bride is too much of his baby. I think he loves that character too much, more so than he ever did like the Gecko Brothers. But let I, don't, me, I don't. I don't think he would hand off the I, bride to somebody else. I don't think he does. I don't think he'll do Kill Bill Volume Three with this either. And I'll tell you why. Um, Quentin is this Tarantino. The most Kevin and I have ever agreed in an I episode. I feel like we are like yeah, on the same path today. today. I don't like it, but <laughs> I'm not crazy about it. But Tarantino is the king of not fleshing things out. Like you know, we we've never fleshed out the briefcase. We've never fleshed out the diamonds at the end of Reservoir sure. Dogs. You know, I think that he loves that idea of a mystery and like what could be. And I feel like if he directed a completion of a revenge story between those two characters, I think mm. it would cheapen the drama that happened in the first one. It's too, she, that little girl had nothing much, to do with Kill Bill. She had yeah. nothing to do with it. It's too much time. I also feel like that little girl probably knew her mom was into some crazy stuff. Um, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I would. I, I always kind of envisioned that scene. By the way, I think one of the most insane things about that sequence is the overhead shot of the kitchen. As like they're walking in, remember when she throws the knife into the into the uh, into the cereal, cereal box? box? I, just, I just picture cereal. Everywhere. For some reason, when I think yeah, of that yeah, scene, yeah. I picture cereal flying. It's such a great scene. The daughter's um, name is Nikki, by the way. I don't Nikki. Know okay. Um, and so I, I just don't. I don't see Tarantino fleshing that out. I feel right. like that's a fan idea. I think that's a fan thing. And like Quentin Tarantino, I feel like he was gonna want to end on something very unique. I, I don't think. It's so funny. If you look at Quentin Tarantino's career, which film do you think he's most proud of? Um, Pulp Fiction. Okay. Pulp Fiction? I I I would say Pulp Fiction. I I think he's most proud of Hollywood. Really? I really do. I really do. I think that, I think Hollywood is the movie, it's so different from anything he's ever done. I mean, obviously Pulp Fiction, I I find to be a better film. I think Hollywood is the film that you make when you are able to do whatever the heck you want and Mm -hmm. fall in love with cinema again. Um, I don't, find like i don't think kill bill is enough of a film in his mind that he has to continue it meaning that it's it's a big movie for him but he finished it like you know we we had we had the ride kill bill and we 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 kill kill bill was killed (laughs) it's it's literally done dude spoilers yeah i know but i mean (laughs) by the way can i can i say um quentin tarantino has two incredibly criminally underrated monologues in his movies that people don't talk about enough because everyone brings up um, bastards and true romance. The monologue that David Carradine gives to uh, Superman, Superman at the end about Superman is yeah. masterful. I also found I also watched the other day the extended cut of Hateful Eight on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I st- I think Sam Jackson's monologue to Bruce Dern is one of the best monologues that he's written. Do you think and he's it, telling the truth? I Lauren and I had the exact so people who are, who wonder what we're talking about. There's a moment in Hateful Eight if people haven't seen it where Sam Jackson's character basically looks at Bruce Dern and tells this horrific story about how he killed Bruce Dern's son in the film. In a very oh, graphic, it's a graphic, graphic story, man. Cold way, hilariously um, graphic. <laughs> yeah, and very over the top. Very, it, it almost felt like Jules was delivering his Ezekiel yeah. twenty five seventeen speech again. The way he just like said the dialogue. Yeah. Um, I find that monologue to be so criminally underrated. Um, so I guess going, I, I was a tangent, but going back to Kill Bill. Wait, wait. Do you think he was telling the truth in that in that monologue? Oh, do I think he's telling the truth? I I think he's telling the truth. 100%. Lauren thinks that it's he's just telling a story. See, I think I, he's telling a story too, because of the detailed. Lincoln letter. But but with the whole thing with the Lincoln letter, he he says he tells Kurt yeah. Russell later that because of this lie he made up about carrying a letter from Abraham Lincoln, he mm-hmm. was able to affect how basically how white people act around him. So he is a master manipulator of knowing what to say to people around them around him to get them to do what he wants them to do. Cause he needed Bruce Stern to give him a reason to like go after. Right. right? And the and only that, reason, so, the only reason I would go against that is because the Lincoln letter was a continued story. He told a bunch of people. I don't, right, they, we but, never but I saw think, but him it just shows that. that he has the capacity and the yeah. mindset to do something like that. I want to throw a, yeah, a wrinkle. So in, I want to throw a wrinkle into the possible kill bill, kill billness of all this and whether Tarantino would let somebody else do it. Okay. I want to go back to earlier this year when the, and I'm not trying to put this on their level, but I'm saying as a comparison that Bilal and Adil, when they remade, where they brought bad boys back, right? Those okay. are two guys. Listen, hear me out. Hear me out. No, no, no. I'm, I'm actually listening. There are two guys who worshipped at the altar of Jerry Bruckheimer and Don mm. Simpson and came to the table and said, we're going to make a, a new Bruckheimer Simpson movie. And they were given the opportunity to work with Will Smith and, and Martin Lawrence. Now, was it as good um, no, but it was close. Yeah, it was close, right? Now, you talk about Quentin and the number of people coming up, filmmakers coming up, young younger filmmakers who have worshipped at his feet at the altar of Quentin Tarantino and are inspired by Quentin Tarantino. And if he finds a guy, if Tarantino were to find a guy, a young guy, stop, shut your mouth. Is he that unique? Who could do something yes. that is in, yes, the, because in the flavor he of Quentin loves, Tarantino? He loves his creations. His creations yeah. are his babies. And, and you're not trying to tell me there's someone else out there like Kevin and you who aren't obsessed no, with no, Tarantino? What I'm saying is like you're, 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 no, but you're, you're comparing it to like, I don't think Michael Bay and Bruckheimer care about uh, the, the bad boys characters as, as much as, Tarantino, as Tarantino cares about the bride. But, but yeah. Bil- 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 Bilal and Adil did. Doesn't so, matter. Okay. Right, let me go back. There's one thing you guys said that was very important early in the conversation. Um, the only reason I would ever allow this. So, uh, okay, let, let's look at it from a. Let's look at it from a. Let's no. look at it from a. Wh- no, it shouldn't happen. Cause stay on, on my side, Kevin. No, no, Quentin I'm on your side. Kevin, uh, Kevin could, should I allow this? Kevin's like, no. I don't know. I have, I have two things. Let me ask the boys. <laughs> I genuinely think that he should. He should not direct another Kill Bill film. Okay. Okay. Now, if if Quentin Tarantino actually wrote. Yes. A Kill Bill Volume 3 script. Has he not talked about at least doing some? Didn't he play with he it? He talks about Vega Brothers. He talked about Star Trek. Sure. He talks about shit all the time. It's not going to happen. But if 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 he wrote a script, like, you know, you, you look at film. So 
I are, think that two of his best films were films he didn't direct, weirdly enough. True Romance mm. and um, From Dust Till Dawn. You know, From Dust Till Dawn is one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, and Rodriguez directed it and Quentin wrote it. Uh, so I think what's interesting is I would not be against if they wanted it again. I would actually rather someone else direct his script mm. than him direct it for his 10th movie. So, for example, if he wrote Killville Volume 3 and it was like a masterful script and he just didn't want to end on that film mm. and he did find a filmmaker to give it to and it was Quentin's characters and writing and someone else took it on to put it out. I would be okay with that. I don't know if I would like jump up and down screaming like, oh, I don't personally need any more Kill Bill. I'm, I'm good on my story. I'm good on my closure. But because of that news and because of that scene in Kill Bill, that's been a question for a long time about her coming back for revenge. Well, so if it needs to happen, have someone else direct it. We are definitely over the course of our time on this planet, which might be short lived, mind you. Uh, we're going to get a point where Quentin Tarantino writes a script that someone else directs uh, like in the future. I'm saying that will happen again because he might not want to direct anymore, but he's not going to stop writing. Yeah. I, I have a question. I have a question I would propose. And he's so young. If if Quentin Tarantino makes whether you want to call it Kill Bill Volume Three or like Kill the Bride. Hmm. And this is specifically for Kevin. Kill Kiddo. Is, Somebody is, said it should be called Kill Kill Kiddo. Kiddo. That's great. Yes, it is. Is it is, is it now a trilogy? No. <laughs> or is it just two movies? Just two movies. It's a trilogy. Second film. No, it's not a Kill Bill Volume 3 is the second movie. <laughs> yeah. the See, the, that's one of the main reasons I don't want it to happen because I don't want to, I don't want to get into this shit again. I, also, I wanted to add yeah. I wanted to add because he's said I've heard him talk about what's next. Yeah, he's talked about that forever, but he specifically has said that he's not done writing stories. He's just is done doing movies yeah. and he wants to write plays yeah. and he wants to write books. books. So I God, think that I look forward to he him probably a book. is interested in this. And if he is, we're either going to get a Broadway yeah. play of it or we're going to get a book. Well, he read. told us, and I, I know this because I re- I re-listened to both of them this weekend. Um, he told us that if Vega brothers, double V Vega ever comes to fruition, it will be so as a graphic novel. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think, I, I do think that Quentin Tarantino has already figured out what the story for what the story would be for this. I mean, he's so, He's so intricate in his details. I, I just feel like after watching all of his films for all like all of my life and actually sitting down with him as lucky as we are, have been to do that for interviews. I just find his passions to be somewhere else. Now I don't find him in kill bill mindset anymore. I mean, like news stories can come up that re bring the material up, but I think Tarantino's head is somewhere else. I think he also, he just became a father. I, I, mm-hmm. and, that fatherhood as- aspect of it could be an interesting sell in rewriting that and, and continuing volume three from a parent perspective. Um, so that, uh, there's a lot to be playing never with Never say never, I say. I Kill Kiddo is a great title. Yes, it I is. Don't, it's not going to be his 10th and final film. He's I not going to so do either. that. I honestly wish he kind of ended on Hollywood. That was Hollywood, Hollywood, too. Hollywood he might been too. A, yeah. Hollywood would have been the perfect 10th movie for him. <laughs> what, what if, what if uh, uh, Sean gets a call from Quentin Tarantino? He's like, Sean, I want to say you were right. Kill yeah. Bill is two movies. That makes Hollywood my 10th film. Boom! And then he just he hangs up. I'm <laughs> That's out. it. I'm out. He's like Kramer obviously. and slams the money down on the table. We he's said like, this Kill so Bill many is times. two movies, so Hollywood was number 10. I'm good. I hate that he's painted himself into this 10 film corner. And I know we've had this conversation multiple times, but I just, I, I wish that he would just keep going. I mean, we've seen the likes of. Scorsese and Spielberg and I, all these other directors. I wonder sometimes if he regrets painting himself because like, like we've said with 
the fact that like he says a lot of things, you know, because the, the dude, the wheels are always turning, right? Sure. And he is someone that always has a microphone in front of him. So whatever mm-hmm. he says, it's going to be quoted and going to be mm-hmm. picked up and it's going to be spread like wildfire. Okay. okay. But, okay, okay. But obviously he has said a lot of like, oh, I think I'm going to do this movie. And it turns into fact, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like, oh, I'm going to do Star Trek or I'm going to do Double V Vega or I'm going to do Kill Bill Volume 3. Mm. Do you think, do you ever think that like sometimes he just said the 10 movie thing and it just blew up so big that he felt the need to sort of stick with it and now can't go back? But um, he could also just go in an interview and go, I'm going to keep going. And like, yeah. nobody would be mad about it. Like, like yeah. and that's the thing. It's like, I feel like we live in a society now mm. where people say things and it's like concrete or it has to mm. be concrete or you can't like, I was saying this at the beginning of the show um, about how for the longest time, you know, I, I feel like I've gotten more mature, obviously, as I've gotten older, I'm 36 now, but you know, there was a long period of time where I just wouldn't admit that I was wrong about something. Um, and like, I revisited citizen Kane this weekend. And I did not love that film when I saw it at 20 years old, you know, and then I and I stayed in that mindset for a long time. I don't like Citizen Kane. I don't like the dialogue. It, you know, visually, it's incredible. And then I watched it yesterday. I'm 36. It blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Completely different perspective. And that's why another reason why I want to revisit Last Jedi. Um, Gabe and I were discussing that today. So I guess the point I'm making is like, you know, Tarantino could so easily just go, you know what? I'm going to go to 11 spinal tap style <laughs> motherfuckers and then yeah, just like yeah. literally, you know, keep going. I mean, seriously, there's like, so he doesn't have to stick with it. And, and we, yes, we run with it. He said it, it's a story, but he doesn't have to stick to it. He's that's or not, that's literally not like he said with the star Trek movie, he's like, I might make a star Trek movie. And then I will just say that eh, that doesn't count. That one doesn't count towards the, towards the yeah. tip. But, but, but the whole reason that, you know, and I know we have to move on for the whole yeah. reason that he did, he's saying that he wants to stop at 10. Yeah. Is it so there's not diminishing returns? So that yeah, he doesn't like, keep making movies and then kind of have them start dipping. This sure. idea that you can pick one movie from his, from his film, filmography and it's just as good as the rest. They're at least mm-hmm. within a spectrum. Mm-hmm. So I ask you guys, as fans, would you rather him stop and have all of his movies be incredible or have him keep going and sort of have a guy that like was really good for a long time and then kind of mm-hmm. really wasn't so great for a while? So, so look at someone like Francis Ford Coppola, all right? Mm. You knock it out the park with Godfather 1, Godfather 2, Conversation, Apocalypse Now, yeah. Rumblefish. You're nailing it for, I don't know, two decades, a decade and a half, whatever Jack. it was. <laughs> yeah, I like Jack, actually. I saw that with my grandmother in New York and Long Island. It's um, a strange film. I like Jack. Uh, but it just has a special place in my heart. But anyways, but like, you're, you're right. It's an interesting thing, because like, I think you point to Hitchcock, right? And you look at Hitchcock, and you, like, ah. I'll tell you right now, going back to Citizen Kane for a second, the fact that Orson Welles wrote, directed, and starred in that film, he was 25 years old. He was 25. And I'm sitting on the couch yesterday as a 36-year-old grown man going, what am I doing with my life? Like, no, no, no. Literally. Life expectancy back then was like 50. So like he, was, he was insane. halfway to... No, he, he lived till <laughs> so, he was 70. So, so he was, I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> no, but I mean, but, but I guess it's interesting because... I guess, okay, this is actually a really good question. What filmmakers do you think got better later in life? So, okay, so look at Spielberg. All right, so Spielberg's knocking it out the park from from the 80s, 90s, and the early 2000s. Uh, I love Ready Player One, but I think we could all agree that there was a lull of time where he wasn't making films that we all thought were Spielberg quality. Um, You know, I I don't mind War Horse. I don't mind. I like Tintin. But I mean, Minority Report in Munich and then jump to Ready Player One. There was a long period of time there where there wasn't. So I guess Spielberg is a great example of this. Because because I think I think there are certain people who have very passionate stories that they tell when they get started. 
um, mm-hmm. and they're the movies that they want to make. But then I, I don't think it's fair to say that a filmmaker should know exactly how to make a movie right out of the gate. And mm-hmm. you almost have to make two or three before you even understand how it works. Right. Like t- to me, that's p- part of the reason why Damien blows me away is because how the hell did he get to be so good of a filmmaker? And he's an extremely talented filmmaker. But like people I, might I argue that George Miller, that Fury Road is the, his best movie. All right. yeah. Now, that's but a I, great example. He directed his best movie at 69 years old. But we're, talk, we're, old talking, we're, not, we're not talking like like a really good movie that someone did like later in their life. Because you could you could argue that like, we're talking about a trajectory where like, they were going like that. Because you could amazing. say like Scorsese turned in Wolf of Wall Street and you like some incredible films later in life. But also in the seventies, he was making Taxi Driver. So like, and it's, Mean Streets, yeah, 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 and Mean Streets. So like, he's had a Raging fairly Bull. even keel okay, trajectory. Bull. He just continues. It's just astounding. He continues. I sure. mean, but but we're talking about are there filmmakers that have done this? I mean, because you talk about like filmmakers needing to get stories out. I sure. sort of, and it breaks my heart to say this. I feel like Tim Burton has gotten out all the stories he wanted to tell, and That's now he's just yeah. sort of turning out movies. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, he's Burton. told all the stories he wanted to tell. And now is just stamping the Tim Burton style onto pre-existing stories. Burton's mm-hmm. exactly what Tarantino is trying not to become. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, so Which I ba- don't fault him for that. Yeah. I mean, basically, it's like, oh, let's reimagine Dumbo with Burton. Uh, yeah. Like, Alice like, in Wonderland. Dark Shadows. Yeah. So it, it's actually a really interesting thing. I think Quentin Tarantino knows what he's doing in that regard. But it's so interesting because I would lo- I, I would be... I would be really sad if I didn't have Ready Player One in my life. And I Mike Spielberg stopped directing films after, you know, a certain period of time, you know? This one might be easy, but I got a great one. James Mangold hit with Copland, which is a movie mm. that he, a story he worked on for a long period of time, and it was his passion project. And he made Girl Interrupted and Kate Leopold and Identity, which are all good films. I love I, Identity. Yeah, they're good films, but I think he was also figuring out how to make yeah. films. That's a great, great example. Then he hit Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma, Night and Day, The Wolverine, Logan, and Ford v. Ferrari. That is an ascension. <laughs> so, okay, so, all right, 10, th- uh, where, how many is that? Nine films Let's or say, whatever it is? One, two, three, it's it, four, it's five, such an interesting six, thing. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Ford Ferrari would be as 11. So wow. I, I, I do understand Tarantino's perspective because... I think Tarantino's thinking about it from a legacy perspective, right? Sure. Oh, 100%. Because, but I will say this. When I think of Alfred Hitchcock, I think of his classics. He might have made some poorly but made I films later. I can name later. every film Tarantino's ever made. Can you name every film Hitchcock's ever made? Yeah, yeah. but Hitchcock made like 50 films or something like that. Maybe I think he shouldn't that's, have. I think that's the point. <laughs> okay. Maybe he shouldn't have. I, 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 think like Tar- I think Tarantino wants to be the kind of guy where you can name every single film he's done. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll never forget interviewing him for Grindhouse and asking him if he, if he regretted not directing True Romance. And, you know, he gave this great answer about Tony Scott. But like, I, I, I just always find it interesting that he gave that script to somebody else. I, I, I just I just but he did it. He did it from Dustal Dawn, but he had control over from Dustal Dawn. He was on yeah. set. Sure. I, um, I, I love the first half of From Dust Till Dawn, which to me feels like uh, Quentin Tarantino's movie. Mm. And then I think once the vampires come out, then it starts to feel like Robert Rodriguez's movie. And that's sure. when I like it significantly less. Oh, uh, I love See, I, I always thought that I would love the genre shift. It, that it just turns into a like to me, it just turns into a blur. Like, I think I the, the, the dialogue. Yeah, I like the them dialogue. Both, but I prefer the yeah, first half. The dialogue. I mean, great. Yeah, it's a great movie. But I'm, I, I think like the first half is a 10 out of 10. 
And then the 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 B monster movie is like a fun seven out of ten. But I think I have, that is like like you know you be cool in the bar. I just, oh, and which well, is John Clooney, Hawks. Clooney is infinitely cool. He's so cool. But that's well, John the, Hawks behind the bar. Yes, it is. Yeah, I love John Hawks. And also best tattoo ever in a film. That's uh, such a cool tattoo. Yeah, I love. I think it's cool. When I, I used Amazing. to think it was so cool as a kid. When he has not not we've talked about the reveal where he takes it off and you see it on his arm. But yeah, when he has the, the black jacket the on out. and you see just a little bit. Just yeah. like on his neck. Oh, it's Tarantino the seems to like tattoos that peek out a little bit. Yeah. Kevin, get that one next. Can you get the Dustal Dawn one next up your entire yes. arm and shoulder? Gabe, if you don't mind me saying, I think we're we're missing out on a great blend game here. And I think it would be it's such a great actor that doesn't get talked about enough. He's passed away now, but Michael Parks blend. Ooh. We gotta oh, touch on that. Oh god, I love Michael Parks. Because he's so we, good we in have Dustal to, Dawn. Um, we have to reach out to Kevin Smith and have Kevin Smith pick he as loves well, he's a massive Michael. and that and, and red state is a is a legitimate contender red state was amazing but tusk he is great in tusk he is say, great in say, tusk. say what you want to tusk. i have mixed feelings about tusk but i think yeah. he is great he is good in tusk. In tusk. we gotta do michael yes. parks blend because he's that's great from dust till dawn one. too that's a, that, that's, a really, the, that's a that's a direction we should start going in with the blend games is like like character actors yeah well tell gabe He's, well, he's wrapping, wrapping us, us up and not even taking notes on what we should be doing. Uh, this take weekend the pen, Gabe. Hey, okay, did you so guys this... hear about Michael Parks' favorite um, show? Parks and Rec? Parks and Rec. Oh, yeah, sorry. That was bad. All right, good. <laughs> you, you, know know you know it's easy if I figure it out. There yeah. is a black and white film coming to uh, VOD on Friday called The Painted Bird. Um, and from what we understand, it is a Holocaust film. Um, made some waves on the early film festival circuit. You guys will be able to check it out on paid VOD uh, as of, oh, we didn't talk at all about, and I, I was raving about having these new movies available at our fingertips, and yet First Cow was available, and I didn't check it out yet. So that's still at the top of my list you know, of something it's so I need funny. to see. And, and I, I, I'm going, I absolutely, positively am going to sit down and watch First Cow. Yeah. But, like, aside from people raving about it, and right. people have, not just raved about it, like it was number one on a lot of people's top movies so far this year list. Yes. Like number one. Yeah. Aside from that, there's nothing about that movie that makes me want to sit down and watch it. <sighs> I know. It. I know. Like, I like, know. And especially like every like from what I've seen about like it's a slow burn. You just have to sit down and watch it. Like none of like what like like the plot description or like the images that I've seen. Aside from people <laughs> telling just me it's been amazing. pictures of a cow. <laughs> it's a cow. <laughs> I know. What is, and I, what I, so I say this like don't flip out because like I love anyone that's listening and loves this movie. I I say it knowing. I'm sure it's a great movie. Yeah. But there have been multiple moments where I've sat down and been like, is now the time? And then I I, go, ah. Is it a prequel to Chazelle's movie? (laughs) First Man? We've made that joke. I'm not going to... uh, To keep the first bit going, another movie that that (laughs) fell into that was First Reformed with Ethan Hawke. I did did love Great movie, by the way. It's really good, but it was one of those films that like... I knew I needed to watch it, and the screener yeah. was sitting there for it's right there. <laughs> yes, and I was like, everyone says it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Do I really want to watch Ethan Hawke as a strug- struggling priest? So, anyway, the painted now, bird. Now, if, if, if and the first reformed plot were the yes. plot for First Cow, now <laughs> he, you're talking. Now you're talking about a movie I press moon. play for, where it's like a cow like is like struggling with his faith. Right. Whipping himself <laughs> and wearing a hair shirt. Uh, we I, we did see the sunlit night as obviously from our earlier conversation with Rebecca. This is a really great uh, vehicle for Jenny Slate, uh, another one of those actors that just doesn't get uh, the amount of work that I feel she should. Like she's a really great 
leading actress. She's uh, she's does really great character detail. Uh, this is a strange film for her in that um, she's a struggling 30 something uh, who has no real direction in life. We've seen that done before. And I was settling in for this to be the, you know, a, a Brooklyn esque uh 20 something 30 something who's trying to figure out what to do with their life but then instead she just picks up and heads over to europe where she takes on an assignment to paint a barn and she's going to paint it with these various shades and i was like paint a barn like are you really being but it was an artistic project and she's bringing up being brought on board because of her artistic ability and the barn is where the first cow lives right yes exactly okay i was trying to figure that, that out okay that cool. was the crossover um, thank you uh, another just to me another great example of how talented jenny slate can be uh, really rewarding to just see her continue to grow into really cool roles like this. Uh, I'm glad it's on VOD because it feels like one of those titles that just would have got completely buried at theaters if it got onto a screen at all. Um, so make sure you check out The Sunlit Night when it hits uh, VOD on Friday alongside The Painted Bird and you can catch up with First Cow, uh, a film that the Real Blend guys really, really want to see. <laughs> but just haven't had... But not uh, badly uh, enough to see it. Yeah, well, let's race. First one to see First Cow gets to bring the review back here to uh, to the show and we'll, uh, and we'll discuss it at length. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, Jake's like, hey, you should watch uh, Cloud Atlas and tell me when you're going to start it. And hey, we'll start remember at the same that time. time Gabe and I had a date to watch Cloud Atlas and he blew me off to finish Last of Us Part Two. What, what happened? I with remember. That? Is that what happened? Gabe, how is Hamilton? I hear it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I was all set. I had my glass of wine. I was like ready to like turn in like this three hour movie. And I was going to like text Gabe and all of a sudden I just yeah, got, I even got, that. I even like texted him like, Hey, do you want to push it up to seven 30 since it's like a three hour movie? And all of a sudden I got like a, sorry, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm playing last of us part two. Wait, well, it's okay. weird. It's to almost be fair, as Gabe, was that the night that you texted me at nine and we watched Cloud Atlas together? You asshole. <laughs> hey, listen. Oh, Is it because Gabe night. discovered that there's a pause button on his PlayStation? <laughs> I didn't know. In, in my defense, that was The awkward. Last of Us Part Two, the story is incredible. Yeah. I've, story I've is been incredible. told it's the last Jedi video game, so that makes me think I'm not going to like it. <laughs> All right. Uh, one thing I found out, though, of why we didn't watch that is that it ends like seven times. I was like, oh, this is the end of the game. And then I still had another it's, it's like, the return of the king play. of video games. <laughs> it just kept going. It's great, but it just kept going. Um, Jake also it's like, likes it's like to that watch bit a movie 20... with people. It, Sorry, Kevin, has he done this to you? Like Jake likes to watch a movie with with people. Like he, whenever we mention that we haven't seen something, he'll be like, "You want to watch it together?" Like we can start at the same time. Like we did. Jake, what was the oh, episode? I'm that we sorry, did? asshole. That like I care about you watching a movie. And I want to experience that, that cool. with you. While we in, watched the leftovers, Jake would repeatedly join me for certain episodes, and I'm saying it's yeah. cool. I, I'm keeping. I keep a list of people that I like to watch stuff with. You're offended. You're <laughs> taking this the wrong way. Guess you just got l- marked off the list. Put me Look above all the, the people first that are cow. Off the list. When you're ready to watch First Cow, text me. We'll press play at the same time. Um, this week's blend game. Hashtag Nicole Kidman blend. Celebrating the legacy of the former Mrs. Tom Cruise. Uh, who has been incredible in so the many things. Mrs. Keith Urban. Current Mrs. Keith Urban as Wait, well, Wait, she's Nicole Kidman. Amazing Academy actress. Award yes, winner yes, Keith yes. Urban. Yeah, yeah. She is Nicole. She doesn't doing? belong to anybody else. <laughs> she's... Probably on her way to an EGOT, I would assume, right? Yeah. So she uh, has the Emmy. She okay. has the Oscar. Yeah. Probably not a Tony. I'm not sure she's ever been on stage. Would she have won a Grammy for the Moulin Rouge soundtrack? 
Very possible. I'm going to look that up while you, Jakey, start telling us what your pick was for Nicole Kidman. Uh, my pick for Nicole Kidman blend um, was a little bit easier than I thought, but it was also I was kind of surprised that compared to what I'm assuming that you guys are going to pick, I chose mm-hmm. the others. Oh, and the that's reason a really good I chose one. the others is just because it's such an incredibly low key subdued performance that is made all the better uh, when you get to the ending, when you realize what this shocking revelation is, and then it's a, p- a performance that completely changes upon rewatch of that movie. Uh, I'm going to get into, I think, Gabe, I think it's it's a 20-year-old movie. I think it's safe to get into spoilers mm-hmm. for yes. the others. The the idea being, don't, Jake, it's 20 years old. I'm sorry. It's, this, this is a movie just, podcast. You, you just have to give a warning. Just a warning. It's a warning. It's, yeah, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. There you go. It, it's basically a, a mother with two children in a giant house uh, during World War One, I, I believe. The children are allergic to light. Therefore, they uh, they have to keep the house very dark. She's very overly protective of her children. The the twist being at the end that they discover that they're actually all dead, that she slipped into a depression after her husband was killed in the war, murdered her children, and then killed herself. As uh, one does. As it, it, and it, which is just unbelievable. And, and so when you go back, and unfortunately I feel bad because the others kind of came out in the shadow of The Sixth Sense. Very much so. unfortunately so. a lot of people sort of just wrote it off as like, oh, it's just, it's ripping off The Sixth Sense. But the way a lot of people describe the Bruce Willis like performance, there there are a lot of actions that Bruce Willis takes in the Sixth Sense that make you think differently, and those actions were written by M Night Shyamalan. Hmm. I would argue Nicole Kidman's performance as a whole is what not not what is scripted in terms of like a doorknob that she you know or 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 a check that she does that she doesn't get to the table. It's her actual performance as a whole. That changes in the rewatch, which I think is just as impressive, if not more so. Um, so I think I, I would I would argue the fact that she turns in almost two performances in that movie, one for the first watch and one for the rewatch. It's absolutely astounding. It at first is uncomfortable and terrifying, then it's heartbreaking when you realize the realization. It's awe inspiring and really a testament to um, as we've said and we were joking at the beginning of this game. Obviously, she's not anyone's ex wife or, or 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 current wife. She's an incredible no. Oscar winning actress. And uh, I think she really shows her chops in that movie. She's halfway to an EGOT. She has the Emmy and the uh, Oscar. So no Grammy. I would have thought thought maybe she would have gotten a Grammy for. I would love to see her on stage. Some people, though, and again, I mean, no slight toward Nicole Kidman. It sounds like I'm sliding Nicole Kidman. I wonder if she's more comfortable on camera than she would be on a stage. You know, some people are just they're more comfortable in the element of film yeah. Whereas other people don't mind being on stage in a live element. And since she's never, well, I don't know, has she tried theater? I'm not familiar with whether she has or not. So I don't know. I don't know. Some people you just, they're, they're born movie stars, but, um, and then there's other, the crossover pretty easily. Uh, Kevin, your choice for Nicole Kidman blend is. I went with Moulin Rouge. Ooh. I feel like it's obvious. Um, just cause it's well, amazing. If Lauren's choosing. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> Lauren, Lauren, Lauren would, would choose Moulin Rouge as well. I mean, like, yeah. I, I mean, that's basically like a mutual pick. It's Baz Luhrmann. It's incredible. It's just it's t- I don't know. For me, that film from a spectacle standpoint matched its performances. Like, you know, there was never not, the performances were never above the filmmaking and the filmmaking was never above the performances. It was like it was a beautiful blend of filmmaking, I found. And I just thought I don't know, that's my favorite Nicole Kidman movie. That's all I really have to say it's about great. it. It's a great. That was, really, that was my. That was my much second choice. Yeah, I mean, so, Moulin so Rouge I was, was a great choice. I saw it in theaters. It blew my mind. Um, you know, I was going to go with Eyes Wide Shut only because I, you know, I do like that film and it's Kubrick's last film. But 
Um, I think or, or Destroyer was really good too, but I think Moulin Rouge, no question. I, right, I thought about Eyes Wide Shut as well, but I, I sort of felt like that was more Cruz's movie than her movie. Like I think of yeah. Cruz when I think of that movie. Yeah, yeah. I will say this about Nicole Kidman as I'm about to give my choice. Um, she doesn't make movies that I like enjoy love right like moulin rouge might be her most accessible one because it's the most fun kind of one like it's a musical you can dial back into it she makes really dramatic films with really tough performances that a lot of times you don't want to go back and revisit because it's such a forever yeah like batman forever for sure no like her entirety on big little lies like her performance on big little lies is absolutely incredible and she's playing an abused spouse yeah. and, and the all hours. the ramifications that come with an abused spouse. Yeah, the the hours, exactly. And my pick, which is Stoker. Stoker is, she's so incredibly good in it. Um, it's Park I've never seen it. Oh, dude. I've never yeah, seen it. The guy it. directed Old Boy. I, Stoker was the one in the house, right? With the, the staircase. Like, I, oh, I saw Stoker. Yeah, yeah. What is this? It, it's a little, it, it's it's a modern Hitchcock film. Oh. Um. Where Nicole Kidman um, is the mother, her daughter is Mia Wasikowski. Yep. Uh, when her husband passes away at the beginning of the movie, um, there the brother comes to visit. It's the uncle, and it's essentially can they trust the uncle? What's going on with the daughter? There's a lot of weird things that are happening, and Nicole Kidman just cements the entire thing together with her unbelievably powerful performance. Um, I wanted to choose why well, I chose that. I love her in that movie. And it's a really riveting film with a ton of huge surprises that I don't want to give away. Um, but the other one I was going to pick was rabbit hole, which is where she plays a mother who had just recently lost a child and bonds with the son um, played by whiplash dude. Uh, Miles Teller. Miles Teller. Yeah. Uh, the son, the friend of the son, she forms a friendship with him essentially. And it's just such an incredible story, but it's one I will. I just don't want to watch it again. I don't want to watch. She's so good in it, Rabbit Hole, and she's so good in Stoker. But it's not the type of movie where you're like, "Hey, let's pop down on the couch and watch Rabbit Hole," where this mother grieves about her her child that she lost. Is I that love it. And, and and maybe I'm confusing it with a different movie. Is that the movie where she has a child that was like a school shooter, or am I confusing like two completely different movies? I think you're thinking of Tilda Swinton. Is that? And we need to talk about. We need to Kevin? talk about Kevin. Maybe so. Yeah. Okay. No offense to you, Kevin. Oh no, no take it. <laughs> I like Stoker though. It's a really good choice because uh, I remember finding that film because of Old Boy. Like mm-hmm. I just became a fan of his films, um, and it's that was visually, one of the ones I watched. Yeah. Visually mesmerizing. Yeah. And has some incredible, incredible transitions. So, so I chose Stoker. It's probably my favorite film of hers. I also love Moulin Rouge. Um, out. So many of her movies are so incredibly good. And uh, but again, she takes on these dramatic roles. So audience picks Haley McCoy chose Cold Mountain. Uh, Anna and several others went with Moulin Rouge. Brent and countless others mentioned Big Little Lies. Uh, Jenny choose Big Little Lies. or B said the others. OK, so the others. Brendan says that he wants to watch a horror movie. But like with a 12 year old, horror is defined in a very specific way. Yeah. So The Others and The Village are the two movies that I've singled out as like, dude, you're going to love these movies. And he won't watch them. He thinks they're too scary. He doesn't know. He knows nothing about either of them. But every night, Michelle, and I'll be like, Brent, The Village tonight. He's like, nope. And I'm like, but you want so, to watch so what, what is the horror that he wants to watch? Like, what is what is acceptable to him? He saw Gremlins and he saw The Monster Squad. 
and he's seen so still kind of in that and still in like in the amblin kind of world. yeah the jokey sort of that's that's i mean that's a bit of a jump from, from I, I think you should the rip others. the bandit off and just show him like dr sleep or something just you, like just get you know get that over with get and then go it. backwards yeah. and everything else won't seem as horrific or just, or just, go, just, just go straight to like rob zombie he's seen he, jaws him, a- uh, jaws was another transition that was a bit of a transition yeah. but he almost he thinks he wants to be challenged by something else and i think the others is a safe enough he's seen six sense good- he watched six sense so especially after six sense i was like dude the village i like, i think no. the others are scary I, I think i like the six sense better but i think the others are scarier than the six sense I think that's probably fair. That's probably fair. I have to go. I have to watch the others again. I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, Calhoun and Corey Chizola. Corey Chizola went with Rabbit Hole. Uh, Corey works at Cinema Blend with us. And then Christian and uh, several others chose I'd Watch. Great participation from everybody this week. Gabe, you son of a gun. For next week, you can reach out on Twitter using hashtag Paul Greengrass Blend. We'll be huh. celebrating the films of the kinetic director. Paul Greengrass. Uh, you can play along on social media. You can tweet us uh, at, at RealBlend, or you can email us, as many of people have been doing recently, at RealBlend at CinemaBlend.com, including uh, Kyle David Perry. Oh, Kyle David Perry, a good friend of the show, another of the Chicago Blenders, who used um, the review system to get this most recent fan review to us. It says, finally giving the real credit you deserve. R-E-E-L. Uh, well played Kyle well played as a longtime listener it brings me great joy to finally be able to leave Real Blend an actual review if you like in-depth conversations with the biggest names in the film entertainment industry then Real Blend is for you if you like passionate sometimes hilarious arguments on everything from remake relevance to semantics hashtag Kill Bill is one film then Real Blend is for you you want year-round awards Oscar talk Real Blend's got it. The nerdiest discussion about frame rates and film grain? Film grain? They got it. Honest reviews on the newest movies? Got it. Petty threats to quit their own podcast? Done. Inside jokes you will instantly be a part of on social media? Yep. Puns of varying quality? You know they got those. Hey, Kevin, (laughs) did you hear about Gabe's favorite Rob Reiner film? Oh. Hold on a second. Wait, is, 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 is this good? It's pretty good. Have you ever heard I, of Rob Reiner's? Oh, Gabe's Gabe's favorite Rob favorite Reiner Rob film. Rob Reiner film. Wow. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm immediately going to when Harry met Sally. I just don't know where to go with that. Um, right, right, right. I don't know Rob Reiner's well, it's, favorite. Uh, it, it's yeah. called Hold This on. Is This Is Spinal Rap. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good that's very that's good. Pretty good more oh, importantly no. oh right wait, wait like, oh. whose favorite rap. i get it now oh, this is spinal game's favorite rob Ra- final okay rap okay that big okay i got it because okay. I got it, I got it. explaining got it. a joke always makes well, it funny. Oh, but no because i thought because it's a homonym i thought it was yeah, yeah. rap which is i was like what does gabe have to do with rapping you oh, won't even listen to hamilton rap gotcha more i gotcha Anyway, more importantly, if you want to join a community of amazing people that gather to listen to three fabulous hosts, then listen to Real Blend. Reach out to the Blenders on Twitter. We would love uh, to talk. Oh, we would love to talk with you. I actually met three of my best friends via this podcast, so I can honestly say Real Blend changes my life. Much love to Kevin, Jake, Sean, and Gabe. All four guys are genuinely lovely person people in person. People in. Per- 
are genuinely lovely people in person. That's a hard one to do. Uh, thank you for the amazing content and for showing me that other people think the way I do. It means the world. Sincerely, Dunkirk. What a great. Thank you very much. Beautiful. Kyle, That's for, awesome. For throwing that review out there for us. Yes. Well, <laughs> well played. Well played. Uh, so we will be back next week with a brand new episode. You guys can follow us on social media, as you know, uh, at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell. Uh, at Real Blend, you can drop us a, re- a review on iTunes. You can email it to realblend at cinemablend.com. Uh, and you can shop on our merch store, uh, cinemablend backslash, cinemablend.com backslash shop. So thank you very much for tuning in to this week's episode. Uh, Gabe, I need you to turn on your microphone for one second. When do you think we will have the commentary track? Oh, yeah, that should be next week. Next week? Cool. You can plug it. Oh, yeah, good, yeah. good, good. We did a commentary with uh, Tony Cervoni where he walked us through Space Jam, and it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, he came on and talked Scoob, which he directed, uh, and he was the animation director for Space Jam, and he had so many really cool stories to tell. So go out of your way this week to find a copy of Space Jam uh, and have it queued up for when we have that director's commentary because we're going to play that uh, next week. It'll be one of our bonus episodes. And, yes, I'll also tease, oh. hashtag if it happens, Yes, we have a very prominent actor that should be on the show next week that we're interviewing tomorrow. We do. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, we do. So that, oh, yeah. So that'll be a lot of fun. And I I'm, know who it is. And I'm deep into their movie and I'm enjoying it. So that's cool. I hope it, I hope it sustains. So we'll, hey, we'll, Sean, Sean, you didn't happen to rent that film, did you? It was not a rental, Kev. Oh. It was a streaming oh. link. It was a streaming link. Okay, yes. cool. I was just wondering if you rented it. Yeah. God, this show is bad. Really good. <laughs> this show is really bad. All right, bye guys. Until next week. Dunkirk. Jesus Christ. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.